The standard case for unfettered markets rests on two claims, one about welfare, the other about freedom. First, markets promote the welfare of society as a whole by providing incentives for people to work hard, supplying the goods that other people want. In common parlance, we often equate welfare with economic prosperity, though welfare is a broader concept that can include non-economic aspects of social well-being. Second, markets respect individual freedom. Rather than impose a certain value on goods and services, markets let people choose for themselves what value to place on the things they exchange. Not surprisingly, the opponents of price-gouging laws invoke these two familiar arguments for free markets. How do defenders of price-gouging laws respond? First, they argue that the welfare of society as a whole is not really served by the exorbitant prices charged in hard times. Even if high prices call forth a greater supply of goods, this benefit has to be weighed against the burden such prices impose on those least able to afford them. For the affluent, paying inflated prices for a gallon of gas or a motel room in a storm may be an annoyance. But for those of modest means, such prices pose a genuine hardship, one that might lead them to stay in harm's way rather than flee to safety. Proponents of price-gouging laws argue that any estimate of the general welfare must include the pain and suffering of those who may be priced out of basic necessities during an emergency. Second, defenders of price-gouging laws maintain that, under certain conditions, the free market is not truly free. As Christ points out, buyers under duress have no freedom. Their purchases of necessities like safe lodging are forced. If you're fleeing a hurricane with your family, the exorbitant price you pay for gas or shelter is not really a voluntary exchange. It's something closer to extortion. So, to decide whether price-gouging laws are justified, we need to assess these competing accounts of welfare and of freedom. But we also need to consider one further argument. Much public support for price-gouging laws comes from something more visceral than welfare or freedom. People are outraged at vultures who prey on the desperation of others and want them punished, not rewarded with windfall profits. Such sentiments are often dismissed as atavistic emotions that should not interfere with public policy or law. As Jacoby writes, demonizing vendors won't speed Florida's recovery. But the outrage at price gougers is more than mindless anger. It gestures at a moral argument worth taking seriously. Outrage is the special kind of anger you feel when you believe that people are getting things they don't deserve. Outrage of this kind is anger at injustice. Christ touched on the moral source of the outrage when he described the greed that someone must have in their soul to be willing to take advantage of someone suffering in the wake of a hurricane. He did not explicitly connect this observation to price-gouging laws. But implicit in his comment is something like the following argument, which might be called the virtue argument. Greed is a vice, 
a bad way of being, especially when it makes people oblivious to the suffering of others. More than a personal vice, it is at odds with civic virtue. In times of trouble, a good society pulls together. Rather than press for maximum advantage, people look out for one another. A society in which people exploit their neighbors for financial gain in times of crisis is not a good society. Excessive greed is therefore a vice that a good society should discourage if it can. Price-gouging laws cannot banish greed, but they can at least restrain its most brazen expression and signal society's disapproval of it. By punishing greedy behavior rather than rewarding it, society affirms the civic virtue of shared sacrifice for the common good.